Dennis, it's been a year and a half this year and uh, we're, you're going to take a look at some of the simple supplements that just you've talked about during the mm. year and that have been good value. We're going to do that, Jane. I reflected a lot on what I would say today and seeing we only have a few sessions left, I thought I might just touch on things that have attracted a lot of attention from listeners and have supported my contention that complementary medicine, particularly herbs, has a role to play in healthcare today in augmenting and supporting the mainstream approach to many diseases. To a new RFM's Health Naturally, Dennis Stewart, uh, we are taking a call from Robert, who is rung in from Raymond Terrace. Uh, Robert, your question's about heartburn. Yes. Hello, Robert. Hello, Dennis. It's not myself. Yes. Even though it's a wonder I don't get it, I'm 75. You're only a baby. Oh, yeah, well, it's a younger baby than I. It's my uh, granddaughter-in-law. Okay, okay. Well, I'll ask you a few questions first, yes. uh, Raymond, or Rod- Robert. Robert. <laughs> Robert or Bob. Um, first of all, has your, um, your granddaughter, is it, that you're talking about, has she been conclusively diagnosed with well, reflux? Um... I think to a certain extent she has. Okay. The only reason I say that is that heartburn or what we call reflux is, is not a trivial thing always. It's oh, no. can be a very serious thing. And I had a, a very interesting instance of a, of a patient of mine in the valley who had a long-standing uh, unpleasant history of heartburn or reflux. And despite being prescribed the standard medication that is usually effective, his condition uh, wouldn't resolve. And he uh, saw me and I suggested that he try a product of mine called Reflux Relief, which I prescribe to my patients, an old-fashioned remedy which usually works well. But I suggested to him that he see his uh, general practitioner, who's a good practitioner, as most of them are, to uh, see if if that was definitely the diagnosis or whether or not it might in fact have more to do with the heart and the cardiovascular system. It turned out that his his reflux pain was in fact a very dangerous level of cardiovascular blockage and he was raced to hospital, was stented and as a result of helping that man I have a very precious bottle of red wine from the vineyard that he owes and I'm not going to open it. Now look, I just mentioned that to to say to to listeners generally any discomfort should not just be uh, interpreted as reflux. Go to your general practitioner, yeah. get a conclusive diagnosis, uh, try the standard medication, which is usually effective, but but some levels of reflux or heartburn, as, as, we, as it used to be called, can be helped quite significantly by what I call a gentler approach, and that usually involves the following. If you've got a pencil and paper, you can jot this down. I um, have. Okay. Look, the regular daily use of at least a teaspoonful, a heap teaspoonful of slippery elm powder is a remarkable way of buffering the gut wall against an assault from the, from the gut contents, particularly the acid, acidic contents. It does work because slippery elm contains what we know in in medicine as as mucilage, 
Uh, mucilage is a very interesting substance. Uh, you could say it has, if you like, a, a plastic effect on the gut wall. It deposits itself in a transitory way protectively. Uh, that's a good starting point. And a, a, as a traditional herbalist, that would be one of the things that I would recommend first. I think that I would have used probably more slippery elm in my practice than any other herbalist in the history of herbal medicine. And uh, I still become impressed with it. However, traditional herbalists of the English model, which which, uh, I belong to, my mentors were all uh, very competent um, English herbalists. The the major herb that's used is the herb meadowsweet. Now, meadowsweet is a very safe uh, and it's more what we call a regulating herb. The the the, the great um, English herbalist um, William Smith referred to it as the normaliser of the gut. Now that's a, a verbose term, but essentially what it conveys is the idea that here here is a herb that, if quietly persevered with, will tend to give a more regulatory effect to the secretory action of the gut wall, and as a result tends to mimic some of the benefits of the mainstream, what we call PPI inhibitors. So my, my view would be some slippery elm powder um, and, and quietly persevere with it and a regular use of meadow sweet tea. Meadow sweet tea is safe uh, and can be purchased in a tea form. If you can't get it from your health food store, any herbalist should have it, including myself. Persevere with that approach it's generally very, very acceptable. Meadow sweet tea is pleasant to take even as a herbal tea and very inexpensive. Try that as a starting base uh, and see how that goes. Right. That's a couple of things I was looking because she's she's not all that old. Yes. And uh, I'm pretty sure she has checked and she's tried the mare but doesn't seem to... But, yeah, she's just had a baby, too. Yes. Oh, well, the baby's yeah. a couple yes. bit yeah. older now. But, yes. uh, no, and from what she, what her husband, or what her husband described to me, yes, i done biology in my, when i done my leaving certificate oh, back in the 63, yes. 64. Yes, yes. Good because I you. wanted to be a vet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, OK, well, it sticks with you, doesn't it? It sticks oh, with you. Oh, yeah, but yeah. I understand all of that, and that's what I thought, Nob. Hear you every Friday. Thank you. And what you give. And yes, that was my sort of that, yes, just need something to neutralise the excess, excess acid hmm. produced by the stomach yeah. or to help prevent it. Yeah. Well, and l- well, that's l- a couple of. Look at the, uh, Google it and see the, uh, see what's uh, the information comes up there. And I think you'll find that what I've said is generally accepted. In, in, in herbal medicine tradition as a very simple and straightforward approach. I mentioned the name there, William Smith. I'll also mention the name Frank Roberts. Now, for people that are genuinely interested in, in traditional uh, herbalism uh, that caused the profession to survive, those two uh, gentlemen, now they've passed on now, they hang as photographs in my consulting room in New Lambton, they were probably some of the most skilled exponents of traditional Western herbalism, particularly that based in the UK. William Smith and Frank Roberts, two great writers, and their books uh, are still available. One might have to uh, search for them um, in one of the book supply depots around the world. But for the people that are interested in genuine, conservative, workable, professional herbalism, 
uh, you need to read those two books. To a new RFM's Health Naturally, Dennis Stewart is here. And your little bag of supplements, Dennis. Uh -huh, that's a nice way of looking at it, Jane. Well, look, the first one I want to bring before <laughs> listeners again is the, the herb that probably, above all others, we've mentioned during the year, and that is the, the herb known as Astragalus. And many listeners I know would relate to that because many of them uh, are using that particular herb. Astragalus is uh, properly known as Astragalus membranaceus. It's an Asian remedy. It probably is the leading immunosupportive remedy in, in Asian, particularly Chinese, um, Japanese medicine. Uh, we look upon it as a, a remedy that, to, to use common language, has a supportive effect on our immunology. And it is used as a remedy to take preventatively or alternatively to take as a restorative treatment particularly when one has been really bowled over by a nasty viral infection. And during the era of COVID, which, by, let me remind to listeners, is, is still going on, uh, it probably is the most utilised herb from the Asian tradition used all around the world for that purpose of encouraging vigilance and a more spontaneous and a more competent uh, reaction to a viral assault particularly, or to take as a means of uh, safeguarding against or seeking to safeguard against uh, the consequences of viral infection and indeed to, to have a restorative effect on the body if and when one has had a severe viral infection regardless of the nature of the virus. So I have over the years presented it as probably the most significant remedy that I'm aware of that can be taken for achieving this purpose. And it has a very interesting history, Jane. Oh, mm. by the way, um, I, I pride myself, and I think I'm entitled to say that at this late stage of my career, I pride myself on the fact that it was my um, reading and research uh, f of herbs that have immunological consequences for a postgraduate seminar that I was to give in Melbourne many, many years ago now, that I first came across the Astragalus herb in what was known then as the Astragalus 8 formula, a formula that is still used around the world and manufactured in this country. And there it was presented, and, and presented by uh, an American uh, medical practitioner as a, a useful remedy with its companions, the other seven herbs which frequently go with it, as a means of helping uh, people who are suffering uh, from the AIDS epidemic. It was considered to be a very sensible, a useful, adjunctive therapy for those that had contracted HIV. And the conclusion was that as a result of using the Astragalus formula, and let me just say Astragalus on its own uh, is remarkable, but Astragalus 8 with the seven supportive remedies is probably the superior way of using it. But it was used in that context, and I gave some of the first lectures on its benefits as a potential uh, remedy to prevent, to reinforce, and to promote recovery. And from that point, it took off. And uh, now in this country, uh, I, I know for, for a fact that in this town, the number of people that are using the Astragalus 8 formula and will not go off it is very, very large, because despite what unfortunately still exists, a degree of cynicism, 
and scepticism uh, from the uh, uh, from the mainstream, the biomedical model, the traditional claims for the formula and the usage of the formula uh, can be supported. People have voted uh, you know, for the remedy with their feet, so to speak, and some people will not go off it and claim that it has altered their whole uh, experience of infection and lifted their game as far as recovery. So I have no difficulty in one of our final sessions this year in saying that in this environment that still exists out there, this viral environment, which still looks as though it's going to linger on for some time, as far as herbal medicine is concerned and the contribution that I believe it can make um, prophylactically uh, with mainstream uh, approaches, I have nothing against the mainstream approach, as you know, but something like this with the mainstream I consider to be a superb way of addressing the climate in which we presently are. Astragalus should be seen in that context as a remarkable remedy. Mm. And it's something that you can take on an ongoing basis. That's correct. Now, this, is, this gives it a unique uh, position in herbal medicine because there are some herbs which have more of a stimulating effect and should therefore be used for short periods of time. Uh, otherwise, they begin to lose their effect. But astragalus is considered to be more of a tonic remedy, in inverted commas, where the word tonic conveys something that has an ongoing benefit in helping the body, in restoring the body, in building up the body. Uh, it's a term that I like, Jane. It's fallen out of medicine. It was popular uh, in our parents' days when pharmacists used to prescribe their favourite tonics, and many tonics were called up in formularies uh, produced by uh, pharmacy uh, guilds, by, by, by the pharmacy associations, tonic preparations. Herbal medicine has never lost the concept that the idea of a tonic remedy that has a non-specific, broad-spectrum, enhancing effect, particularly on the patient's immunology and energy or vitality, is of an important context, uh, concept that herbal medicine today still brings in this climate of, of viruses. And Dennis, your little bag of supplements mm. is great. Mm. Uh, but right at the moment, we have Peter on the line. So before we get to our food as medicine, uh, Peter's rung in from Fasifern. Hello, Peter, you've got a message for Dennis. Oh, yes, Dennis, Peter Osborne. Hello, Fasifern. Peter. I'm an old mate of yours nowadays. I remember <laughs> I remember your name, Peter. Yes, yes. About four years ago, yeah. I, I rang this program. I had Ross River virus, and no, or my GPs, etc., didn't know anything about it. And luckily, you you had your hand on it, and uh, you put me onto Astragalus 8, mm. and I still take it. Yes. And I can step over mountains now. Well, there you go. <laughs> I, I, hope it's, I hope it's Mount Everest that you can step over. <laughs> that would really be doing something for Astrocarlus 8 formula if that was so. But no, yeah. look, look what, what you've basically said there, Peter, was that uh, Astrocarlus 8 lives up to its reputation as a combination of herbs that has a particular effect on viral infections. And things like uh, the cytomegalovirus, uh, the herpes virus, Ross River fever virus, they're all classical conditions which indisputably, in my opinion, now I know that's putting myself out on a limb, indisputably will impact beneficially on those conditions. I, uh, if I was to uh, uh, go through all my thousands of cards, uh, and I can assure you there are thousands of them, uh, you would be surprised 
how many testimonies there are written on those cards from my notes uh, testifying to the benefits of the Astragalus 8 formula, particularly for that condition that you've mentioned, Ross River fever and other serious viruses, particularly the herpes virus, particularly herpes simplex. Doesn't surprise me, Peter. I'm glad you're still taking it. A yes, great well, great preparation. Yeah, well, we can, we can know a bit of that to good old Melbourne. Yeah, um, that's, that's where that's where I found the formula. It's yeah. in a book by Dr. Donald Badgley, um, a f- fascinating work called Healing AIDS Naturally. And it was written at the time of the uh, height of the AIDS epidemic. Here was a brilliant, brilliant, broad-minded uh, American GP that was well abreast of the mainstream treatments, well addressed of, of immunology, who nevertheless looked at uh, traditional medicine, uh, Chinese herbal medicine, homeopathic medicine, nutritional medicine, acupuncture, all of all agents which he claimed and demonstrated had a role to play in helping people suffering that wretched disease. So, yeah, I found the formula. I gave the first lectures on it. And, uh, in fact, uh, a colleague of mine who, unfortunately, a number of years ago, a dear friend, uh, Noel, he, he passed away, but he had uh, connections with the Chinese community, uh, having uh, married a lovely Chinese lady, and uh, he was able to get um, the, the, the eight herbs, and we had the, the preparation uh, made up in a, in a, from a, a manufacturer, a well-known manufacturer, good friends of mine still, uh, who were in, um, in, in Balgala at that stage, and uh, the rest is history. It became so popularly used and so uh, demonstrably effective that to this day I bless my trip to Melbourne. Um, my wife would say Melbourne caused your library to expand dramatically to the point that I lay awake now early in the morning wondering how I'm going to get rid of these books uh, because people don't read today. But that that was a worthwhile trip and the finding of the AIDS, the Astragalus 8 formula in Donald Badgley's book, Healing AIDS Naturally, remarkable find. And it's always good to mm. get feedback. Thank it is, you, it is. Peter. Thank you very much, Peter. Uh, let's move on to something else in your uh, in your bag of mm. tricks, mm. and that is garlic. Ah, garlic, garlic. Now, the moment we mention garlic, people say, people say, oh yes, I use garlic. So, what's so famous about garlic? Well, look, garlic is a culinary herb, and I love garlic in food. I, the the other day I went to the local butcher down at Bellbird where I in, in the valley where I get a lot of my good meat from a small butchery I love favoring the small butchers that remain around the valley and he had these lovely um, uh, country rissoles and uh, and I brought some home and unknown to my dear wife and put them in the fridge and uh, overnight they stayed there and the problem was in the following morning uh, she was nearly bowled over by the smell of garlic and wondered what was going on. So, uh, But garlic is a great culinary herb, and even used in that way, it has its benefits. But just as many other culinary herbs have medicinal properties when prescribed in a medicinal dosage, so garlic has some remarkable and proven and documented medicinal possibilities. I looked at the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia on my desk at New Lambton before I came to the program today and just reviewed the classifications of this remarkable herb and saw the way in which it had been used. Um, This is a herb, by the way, that goes back a long way in history. And even in the First World War, 
and this is an era where there were no antibiotics. A garlic was given out in various forms as a means of trying to withstand some of the infections that were dominant in the trenches, particularly some of the respiratory infections. And to this day, to this day, I still prescribe uh, medicinal levels of garlic in capsule form or liquid form, to pick, uh, particularly for people that suffer respiratory conditions where there is a lot of congestion, uh, people that suffer things like bronchiectasis or chronic bronchitis, what I loosely refer to as wet lung conditions, garlic inevitably is prescribed as one remedy to help that person's respiratory system fight infection with or without antibiotics. They will not clash with antibiotics, but frequently garlic taken with an antibiotic will enhance the antimicrobial effect of the antibiotic. But I prescribe it and recommend it for people with chronic wet lung conditions who will never be cured in a conventional sense, but who can be managed with modern medicine, but also by incorporating sensible, in indicated, traditional medicines, garlic being one of the leading ones to fight infection, particularly bacterial infections, wet lung conditions where there is a, a, a mucousy, a, a coloured mucus condition, and usually accompanied by a chronic cough condition, a lot of expectoration. Garlic is still an undiscovered gem when it is uh, not taken for those respiratory conditions characterised by those symptoms. I use a lot of garlic in my practice and recommend to all those practitioners that listen to me in Newcastle, in the, in the, in the Hunter region, in, in, the, uh, in the Atherton Tablelands, where we've got a couple of listeners, um, to don't shy from using some of the older remedies. Get to know the older remedies before you become seduced by some of the newer, more expensive preparations. Garlic still works remarkably well for respiratory infections, and in this climate of fearful respiratory consequences, garlic is useful to be taking medicinally. Now, is it better mm. if you're looking at incorporating yes. garlic as yes. a food in your yes. cooking, yes. for example, yes. or in your, yes. in your meals? Yes. Uh, is cooked or raw okay. any difference? Look, that's a good question. And by the way here, um, Dr Sandra Cabot, in her book on coronavirus which I've mentioned on this program on numerous occasions, and I don't apologise for that. It's remarkable work written by a remarkable um, medical practitioner, a remarkable exponent of sensible natural medicine. Uh, in that book, there's a lot of encouragement for using what you might call culinary herbs at a medicinal level. Now, one can use garlic and still get some benefit from it, even in, uh, when, it, when it's cooked, so to speak. But usually herbs, including garlic, that have what we call an essential oil, which gives to the herb its odour. Usually when it is cooked, there's the possibility of that volatilising. And the, uh, the active principle, if you like, is lost unless it is very quickly processed uh, with a little bit of olive oil so that you trap the actual essential oil in the base of the cooking. So you can still get a benefit. I don't want to detract from that, and I would encourage people to use a lot of culinary herbs. Cabot's book points out how culinary herbs used regularly have a very, very potent effect on enhancing immunology. And as Anglos, we don't use enough of this knowledge. Um, we've got to grab 
the benefits of a multicultural society and look at what uh, people from the Mediterranean and other cultures have brought to us, particularly a knowledge of these these herbs, garlic and onion be classic ones, but there are many others. Yes, you can get a, a benefit from it, albeit, albeit most of the literature that I read suggests that pure garlic, raw garlic, preparations based on the raw, unprocessed, essential oil is the best way to go. Right. I remember mm-hmm. uh, being in Tokyo one time yes. going into a little uh, restaurant yes. and on the table uh, to go with your meal was a bowl of peeled garlic yeah. cloves, but whole garlic cloves, yeah, and, and you uh, used that if you uh, wanted to. And, and if you're game enough. Because it's oh, a very potent herb to take. This is to a new RFM's Health Naturally and Dennis Stewart. We're taking calls and uh, Sharon has rung in. Sharon, uh, you've got a granddaughter who's got asthma and sinusitis and uh, you're yeah. wondering what you can do about that. Yeah, well, she's off school for five days because it's contagious. Yeah, of course. Okay. Apparently. Okay. The first thing I would, uh, would ask here, obviously, is uh, how old is your uh, granddaughter? She's eight, going on nine next okay. month. Any any child that has a respiratory condition um, obviously needs to be medically managed, and I presume she is being medically managed. Is that, yeah, is that correct? Yes, she's got antibiotics and that. Oh, good. Yeah, okay. we've got to do okay. that. So. so what you're basically saying here is that your daughter's being managed medically, which I would insist on, but what you're looking for, presumably, uh, things that could perhaps lessen the onset of these conditions, yes. looking at factors. I've got bad sinus, so okay. I might have sinusitis as well. Okay, now, and I've got bad lungs, so okay, that's contagious. Okay, now is your <laughs> is, is your daughter blue eyed? Your granddaughter blue eyed? No, brown. Okay, look, oh, the only reason I ask that is that sometimes um, colours of the eyes do have a bearing on it, um, but in your daughter's case, granddaughter's case, just a simple, a couple of things that might be of use. The first thing to do, and I recommend this to most children that have uh, respiratory conditions, is that they look at the possibility that this could be being aggravated by by dairy products. Now that might sound, yeah, that might sound a little bit over the top, but I learnt many many years ago from a practitioner that I worked with at Warunga, who actually wrote a book on this topic, that. Cow's milk products in particular uh, were not as well recognised. Oh, we love cheese and milk yeah, well, in our house. Well, I'm, 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 <laughs> your daughter I'm, granddaughter I'm going to throw out a challenge here, and this might be controversial, but it costs you nothing except a lot of abuse from your granddaughter. Take, <laughs> take her off cow's milk products for a trial. Now, a lot of naturopaths and others out there would agree with me on this, and even some GPs might agree with it. It doesn't work okay. always, but I tell you what, it works in, in quite a few places. I, uh, where you get um, catarrhal, we used to use the term catarrhal, uh, uh, mucousy conditions of the upper respiratory tract, uh, usually accompanied by recurrent viral infections, which then uh, can stimulate asthmatic episodes, Dairy products can be a trigger. That's been my experience. So before you look for other things, uh, tell your granddaughter that uh, she has to behave herself. No, my daughter always thinks, oh, 
Mum, I've got a chest infection. I've got a chest infection. Okay, well... There's no assignments, so... Okay, no milk. (laughs) Well, what what you've got to do, give a trial on that. If she reacts to that or says, oh, now I've got to have some milk, this might sound a bit left field, but again here, um, there was a, a very, very brilliant British doctor. I think her name was Dr Vera Walker. She wrote a book on the therapeutic benefits of goat's milk. So goat's milk is something that's available in supermarkets. And in the moment you mention goat's milk, people turn up their, uh, their nose and say, oh, my goodness sake, goat's milk. Well, I, I tell you something, um, as, a, as a young father and a father of four children, um, my children went straight from their mother's breast onto goat's milk. And we were so enthusiastic about goats that we had goats in our backyard. We're not going to believe that. In downtown North Gosford, we had goats in our backyard which were milked daily by my dear wife and uh, we had people lined up for goat's milk. Goat's milk was always seen as a useful alternative to cow's milk products and was frequently, uh, how can you call it, something that lessened the congestive, sinusy, respiratory problems. There's a couple of things that you can do. Try the no milk thing to start with. If she grizzles and grumbles about that, go to the supermarket and get the green pack uh, of goat's milk and um, try her on that. <laughs> Excellent. There's a nice thing to do. And if you've got chest problems, maybe it'll work for uh, absolutely, you Absolutely. Absolutely. All the very best. Yep, yep, yep. Um, this is Health Naturally. And Barbara has rung in from Rutherford. Hello, Barbara. And you've got a question about black garlic. Uh, yes. Hello, Barbara. Hello. Um, we're just wondering what your opinion is on the black garlic and uh, how it's processed and everything like that. Well, my immediate response is that garlic is garlic. Its botanical name is Alium sativa. There are uh, numerous uh, varieties of garlic. All of them, however, share the common chemistry. So I'm not, um, how can I call it, I'm not too fussed about the particular forms in which it comes, the particular varieties of it, they all share a common characteristic that they have an essential oil uh, which contains a principle called allicin and um, that's responsible largely for the therapeutic effects. I, I can't say much more than that. I would suspect that this form of garlic is perhaps no better or no worse than others. Fair enough. Well, we use a great deal of garlic and that's... Um that we're also at the Newcastle Farmers Market and there's people down there that's selling the black garlic. Oh, good on them. Good on them. Look, anything that's, um, anything that's produced by locals, anything that's produced and sold at those markets, uh, go for it. And um, <laughs> there, there's obviously an interest in black garlic, but there's an interest in various, uh, how can I call it, varieties. But go down and support the good people and tell them that, um, yeah, Dennis was all for it. <laughs> Thanks for your call. <laughs> and uh, I think we've seen black garlic in certain smart restaurants, and well, we uh, why not do it yourself? Maybe it has extra qualities well, as we well. We never know. You we never, never know. know. We never so know. It's still garlic, though. <laughs> Sounds really good. So we've just got a few more minutes, Dennis. And yes. uh, do you want to fit another another from your oh, bag of supplements? I, 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 will, I will indeed. I, I think... Uh, to do justice to echinacea would require more than a couple of minutes, but I will try. 
there would be no herb that I used uh, that I use more of than the herb echinacea. And listeners have probably heard me say on this program that it was largely as a result of the uh, coming together of Professor Clifton Elliott, who was the professor of physics at this university, and myself, probably 25 years ago, uh, at his farm in Peach Orchard Road, Arimba, where he had retired to subsequent to uh, retiring from the university, he and I um, seriously began to cultivate Echinacea purpurea, and it was the species that the Germans had made famous, albeit I had always been uh, favouring Echinacea angustifolia, the root of it. The Germans made the popular product of the juice and the extract of the whole herb, and we produced that. And Echinacea, uh, historically and even today, provides one of the most useful, ongoing, uh, antibacterial, uh, antimicrobial remedies for addressing conditions with lingering and ongoing uh, pathology. Echinacea is useful for where bacterial activity, particularly in the lung, is there, as in something like uh, bronchiectasis. So any bronchiectasis person, uh, and there are many of them out there, that has the respiratory infection usually accompanied by the cough and a lot of sputum, the inclusion of the herb echinacea in a formula, usually accompanying the herb garlic, uh, tends to have a significant supportive effect on the functioning of the respiratory system and tends to lessen the need for antibiotic therapy. So echinacea is more to be thought of as a condition for a chronic uh, a wet lung condition where there's a lot of bacterial activity, the recurring bacterial activity, sometimes requiring antibiotic medication, and rightly so, but sometimes capable of being managed with conservative uh, phys uh, physical therapy and conservative usage of herbs. Echinacea in that context is the leader of the pack. And it's got a very pretty flower too, I'm oh, sure. Oh, lovely. <laughs> in fact, I've got photographs of them. I should bring them in and put them up on the, uh, the web so listeners can I have a look at them. I think we have, in fact, Have we done that, that have we? Oh, yeah. Beautiful herb. Yeah, they are very, beautiful very herb. pretty. Beautiful herb. <laughs> so we've had some good questions today, Interesting questions. Dennis. Look, yeah. we've touched on these before, but uh, my fascination with these herbs has never waned in nearly 50 years. So if listeners have heard me talk about them a couple, for a couple of years, that's only a short period of time. You can <laughs> never exhaust indeed. your knowledge of them. And, of course, you can catch this program again on podcast on 2NURFM.com.au. Be with us next week for more Health Naturally on 2NURFM. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>